lesson for this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Listen now for God's word to you. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind in the crowd and touched his cloak, For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus has just returned from the other side, Mark says. This is both a literal and a metaphorical thing. Literal in the sense that Jesus has been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the region known as uh, the Gerasenes. And metaphorical in the sense that Jesus has been on the other side over there with people who are not like him. The region of the Gerasenes is a Gentile, non Jewish territory. And what happens over there on the other side isn't exactly a stirring success. Jesus does heal a man who is so oppressed, who suffers so greatly in body, mind, and spirit that when asked his name, he says, my name is Legion. Remember back several weeks ago now, we talked about this story, this man who is restored to a sense of his own identity. But the people who live in that region, when they see the healing that takes place for this man, this man that they have tried to bind for all of those years, they're really freaked out by it. And they ask Jesus to leave, to go back to where he came from, in a sense. 
So here Jesus is on the other side, literally in the sense that he is back in Capernaum, his adopted hometown in the Gospel of Mark, and metaphorical in the sense that he's back among his own people, the people that he shares ethnic and religious similarity with. But as soon as he gets off the boat, the crowds are there to greet him with all of their great need. And in that crowd is a man called, a man who's described as a synagogue leader, a man named Jairus. Uh, Jairus is a leader in the community. He is a person of wealth and importance. Uh, He's a synagogue leader. He's involved in his local congregation. Talk about Jairus in town, and everybody will have something good to say about him. He's the sort of person that whenever the nominating committee met to try and figure out who's going to be on the elders and deacons, Jairus' name was at the top of the list. And he's the envy of people like Alan because when he was asked, he always said yes. Not, I'll think about it. There was a a large expansion in that synagogue building that had his name on it from the donation that he and his, his wife had given You know, he had a a large house in the middle of town. He had premium health insurance. He had everything that you could ever want or need in this life. A person of reputation in Capernaum. But then the day that Jesus goes to the other side, Jairus' daughter falls ill. And not just sick, but severely sick, that her life is being threatened. And so so Jairus calls the doctor over, and the doctor comes over right away because that's how people responded to Jairus. And And I'm sure that as the doctor crossed the threshold of Jairus' home, there was this moment of hope. The doctors here will finally have some answers. But then comes those words that suck the air out of the room. I'm sorry, sorry, Jairus, there's nothing we can do. Suggest that you make her as comfortable as possible for her final few hours. But Jairus is not the sort of person to give up easily. He has a thought. He's a, a synagogue leader. And, and Jesus' hometown, adopted hometown, is, the, is Capernaum. His adopted synagogue is that synagogue in Capernaum. And, and Jairus has been there watching as Jesus heals on the Sabbath. There, he was there at that, that first sermon that Jesus gave in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is preaching and a man walks in who has an unclean spirit. And, and Jesus stops the whole service just to attend to the needs of of this man. And it caused a little bit of controversy, Jesus healing on the Sabbath, but, but Jairus has an idea. What if I go to Jesus and he can make my daughter better? So Jairus gets up, he goes to the, the place where Jesus is staying, and in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus stays in Capernaum is Peter, uh, Peter Law's, Peter's mother-in-law's house. What a place for a home base, right? Uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. And so he, he goes there, and he knocks on the door, and he says, Jesus, my, my daughter is sick, can you, can you help me? And the door cracks open, and out walks Peter's mother-in-law, and she's wiping a dish, just finishing up the dish. She says, I'm sorry, Jairus. Jesus isn't here right now. He and the boys, they got in the boat, and they went to the other side. Where is Jesus when you need him? Sure, there's a, t- a twinge of anger in Jairus' mind that, that Jesus is not here among his own people, the people that feel like they have claim to him, and there Jesus is on the other side, traipsing around with people who are not like them. And so Jairus goes home. He and his wife keep vigil through the night, taking turns watching their daughter. And Jairus does fall asleep in the wee, morning, wee hours of the morning and and then he hears the commotion outside of his house, the, the townspeople running down towards the lake, and he grabs hold of one of them and says, what's going on? And they say, Jesus is back. 
so a moment of hope once again. As Jairus thinks, well, my daughter's made it through the night. I can still get to Jesus. So he makes his way down to the lake shore. And he falls down at Jesus' feet and says, Jesus, my, my daughter is sick. If you can hurry, if you can come to my house quickly, then she can be made well. And Jesus responds to Jairus as so many people in his life respond to him. He says, okay, take me to where she is. A sort of obedience. And so they start making their way towards Jairus' house in the center of town. The, the, and the crowds gather all around them. And, and the city streets of Capernaum are not wide. Um, so they're all pressing in around Jesus as they make their way towards um, where this uh, sick girl is. And just as they are walking, comes out of one of the last free clinics in town, a woman who has been bleeding for the last 12 years. Says she's been hemorrhaging, but let's be clear about what's happening here. She's been menstruating for the last 12 years. And so she is, according to the religious laws of that time, she is ritually unclean. She is someone who is cut off from life in society. And she sees Jesus walking that way. She had gone to doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, clinic after clinic, looking for answers to her problem. And every time she walked into one of those clinics, one of those doctor's offices, I'm sure that there was a, a moment of hope that this was going to be the doctor who finally had the answers for her. But then again and again came those words that sucked the air out of the room. Sorry, there's nothing that can be done. Mark doesn't give this woman a name, but to me, her name is Carol. Carol is my, my mom, and I I think I've, I've shared this all with you before, but my mom, 20-plus years ago now, was diagnosed with a really severe form of fibromyalgia, this chronic and persistent pain. And, and I remember the sort of change that took place when that diagnosis came, that she kind of became a somewhat different person because she's dealing with this pain all the time. I don't blame her for that. And remember the doctor's appointments starting to fill up the calendar, the specialist visits starting to fill up the calendar, and and she would go, and, and then she would come home, and one of us would ask, Mom, did they find some answers for you? She'd say, no, there's nothing that can be done. Hope struggles to survive under that constant weight of disappointment. This woman who's been going to doctors for 12 years seeking answers, who has been cut off from life and society, She's the sort of person who's on the phone all the time with the insurance company, making sure that they're going to cover her, her medication, the, the, the needs that she has, and they're going to argue back and forth. They're going to, they're going to balk at the, need, the, the needs that she has. And she's the sort of person who's kind of cut off from life and society, that her, her disease is not just what's going on in her body. It's not just her biology, but it's also the fact that she is in all way, shape, and form an outcast someone who lives on the margin of society. The, the religious law at the time would have dictated that she had to live apart from her family, apart from anyone who could offer her care. So she is, in all ways, shapes, and forms, cut off, an outcast, an outsider, someone who lives on the margins of society. And she is, in every conceivable way, the exact opposite of Jairus. Jairus, we know his name, we know his occupation, but we only know this woman by her illness. That where, Jesus, where Jairus can approach Jesus sort of face to face and make sort of a command, a, a demand of Jesus, this woman has to 
to sort of sneak her way through the crowd to kind of get the healing that she needs. And that's what she does here in the story, right? She, she sees Jesus passing by, and she's heard about all the things that Jesus has done, all the healing that he has offered to other people. She thinks to herself, the message that she's received is that she's not really worth the time and the energy and the effort. So she says, I'll just sneak up and see if I can grab onto his cloak and, and maybe I'll get the healing that I need. And so that's what she does. She sneaks her way through the crowd and each person that she touches, she makes ritually unclean. She brings them in and, and they become part of her illness in a way. And she gets just close enough and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's made well. She feels the bleeding stop. And for the first time in 12 years, she is made whole in a sense, because this is not just about the, the healing that takes place in her body, but also the healing that takes place in her soul. All of those years of, of failed doctor's visits, all of those years of hearing, there's nothing that can be done. Finally, in this moment, something is done, and she finds healing. What that moment must have been like for her. But that moment is interrupted as the whole crowd on their way to Jairus' house stops. And then Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? And his disciples say, But boss, we were in a crowd full of people. Everybody's touched you. What do you mean, who's touched you? He said, No, something different happened here. And the woman, knowing that she can't hide, approaches Jesus afraid, with fear and trembling, it says. And she says, you know, I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've heard about the things you could do. I didn't think I was worth the time, but please don't be angry with me. And Jesus looks at that woman at his feet and he says, daughter, daughter. He gives her a different designation than the one that she's been living with for well over a decade. He calls her what she actually is, a daughter, a loved child of God. Your faith has healed you. And in this moment, an even greater act of healing takes place. Not just a biological and spiritual healing, but a social, here, a social healing. That this woman is not only in need of healing for her body, but in need of what has estranged her from life and community, what has exiled her from life and community. And I think that, that Jesus stops the whole procession to Jairus' house because he wants us to take notice of people like her. The people who often suffer in silence, the people who often live on the margins of society, the people who don't get a procession going to their house to see if Jesus is going to heal their, their daughter. Jesus wants us to take notice of people like her. But then even that moment is interrupted. As people from Jairus' house come out and they start whispering in his ear, they give him the devastating news. They say, Jairus, your, your daughter has died. Why bother Jesus anymore? And Jesus, overhearing this, says, um, actually, before I say that, I think there's another moment of anger here for Jairus. Um, another moment of anger here for Jairus. Just as when he finds out Jesus is on the other side of the lake with people who aren't like him, there's probably another moment where Jairus gets, is not only filled with grief, but also a little bit of anger. Because if Jesus hadn't stopped to heal this unnamed woman, maybe they would have made it to his house. Maybe they would have made it to uh, his daughter. And if there's anything that people like Jairus fear, I think, is that people like this unnamed woman will take what they think is theirs, that they're entitled to. 
It's a, it's a sort of mindset of scarcity, one that we kind of still live with in our own political discourse, that one that creates winners and losers, that if someone gets something good, that means someone else has to lose. But Jesus doesn't live with a, a mindset of scarcity. Jesus lives with a mindset of abundance, that there is more than enough, that just as there is more than enough for this woman, there's more than enough for Jairus' daughter. And so he says to Jairus, he says, don't be afraid just believe. And, and I want to make an aside here about that just believe phrase because it drives me nuts because of the way it's been interpreted over the years. That belief sort of has this cognitive quality to it that I'm supposed to just believe things with my mind. And I want us to think whenever we hear the word believe in the Gospels, what I want us to always do is to substitute the word trust. What Jesus is asking Jairus to do is to trust. The trust that even in this place of death that there is still hope and there is still possibility. And so Jesus goes, takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he goes to the, the house of Jairus, and he sees that there's people there mourning, making this great spectacle of grief. And, and in those days, in that part of, in that culture, there were these things called professional mourners. Uh, so people who like to make this grand display of, of grief. What a job, right? Um, where, were they, where were they at career day? Um, um, and Jesus sees them, and he says, why are you crying? She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And, and I think back to my days as a student chaplain, and uh, those were sorts of phrases that we were never told to say, like, don't cry. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. Like, Jesus, read the room a little bit. Um, and, he sa- and he goes to the girl, and he, he says, Tuitha kum, little girl, get up. And she uh, rises from the dead in the story, and um, Jesus says, give her something to eat. And he says, then he says, shh, don't tell anybody what happened. But of course, they did talk about it, right? That's why, that's why Mark has a story. That's why we know about it. It's because they did talk about it. This woman who was bleeding for 12 years talked about this time how she had been told that nothing could be done, and yet when she found Jesus, she found healing and wholeness in multiple and myriad ways. That Jairus talked about it, that in this place of death, Jesus arrived and made a way where there seemed to be none. I think what this story is for us is a, is a reminder of who Jesus is. That Jesus is someone who sees possibility in all situations and in all circumstances. That Jesus is one who does not accept things as they are. That when Jesus meets those words, there's nothing that can be done. What Jesus sees instead is possibility. He sort of clings stubbornly to a sense of possibility. It's, It's what we call hope, that Jesus holds on to hope for other people. That this woman does not have to be marginalized and cut off forever. Jesus refuses to accept that that's the way that things have to be. He refuses to accept the idea that that one person receiving healing and good things means that someone else has to lose out. He refuses to accept the idea that even in places of death, and not just biological death, but all the ways that our lives are taken from, are, are restrained from the life that God wants to give to us, that Jesus sees possibility. That Jesus is a person of hope. Hope is not optimism. Optimism is just sort of like a a sunny demeanor. uh, I'll just ignore the pain, the suffering that I'm going through or the world is going through and just think positively. No, hope is an acknowledgement of what is wrong, what is broken, what is hurting, but it's seeing a different possibility. It's seeing something different on the horizon and clinging stubbornly to that possibility and working to create it. 
what Jesus really is, is he's a, a caretaker of hope, someone who nurtures hope within himself, within uh, the people that he meets, and within the world around us. And what we are is caretakers of hope. That we are people who continually see possibility. That when it said nothing can be done, we instead see possibility. When it said nothing can be done about the climate crisis, what do we as a congregation do? We take on a, a climate action week. We take on all of these actions to, to help address the issues of clim the climate crisis. We write to our legislators. If you ever think there's an activity that people would say there's nothing can be done about writing to your legislators, but we believe that we can make a difference. We can impact the world around us. We can create a different sort of possibility Walking in uh, this week after being gone and, and seeing the mosaic downstairs of the foot washing reminds me of all of the ways that we as a congregation see possibility, that we refuse to accept that the way things are the way things have to be, that we refuse to accept that people just have to be collateral damage of the systems that we live in. We instead meet their hunger and their need. We, we collect things for donation drives. We see the possibility of something different. After a a bad weekend like last weekend was, we need to have that sense of possibility, don't we? Two mass shootings within a day of each other. One in Buffalo, New York, where a, a man who was totally enraptured with the toxic uh, ideology of white supremacy drives hours to a predominantly black neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, and, uh, and undertakes a shooting at a, a supermarket. A shooting that takes place in a, a Taiwanese congregation in Laguna Woods, California, when it's hard to accept the idea of possibility when things like that happen. But we are steadfast in our hope and our sense that something else is possible. That's why we continue on in our racial justice ministry. We believe that there is a different possibility out there, and we are working to create that different possibility. When it's said, nothing can be done. We, like Jesus, live with a sense of possibility. When it said that nothing can be done, we, like the, the woman bleeding for 12 years, reach out with boldness to see a different possibility. When it said that, that nothing can be done, we, like Jairus, place our trust in hope and in possibility. When it said nothing can be done, we, like Jesus, continue to remain the caretakers of hope for ourselves and for the world around us. Thanks be to God. Amen.